this week on The Startup Life. You know, a lot of times, you know, freelancers will, you know, price based on, you know, how how long do you think it's going to take you to do this? And right. they'll, they'll try to arrive at some hourly rate. And that's not the right way to price it. The right way to price is what is it worth to them? What's it worth to the client to get this done? All right, Startup Nation. So let's take flight with Brian Ray, jobs to be done practitioner and creator of FeatureAudit.com. The Startup Life begins now. Seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. You'll never have the sacred stone. <laughs> oh, this new crazy mother. Hey, Startup Nation. Do you enjoy the startup life? Now you can let the world know with gear from the show. Choose from the label yourself, make your own luck, and making money t-shirts to tell your story of your path of entrepreneurship. Click the link in the show notes to purchase. All right, Startup Nation. So I hope you're ready to receive some value today. We got a special guest in the building today. We got Brian Ray of BrianRay.com. What's going on, B? Not a lot. How are you doing, man? Uh, you know me. I'm living a dream, living a dream. <laughs> are you ready to pour some knowledge in the Startup Nation today? Oh, definitely. Awesome stuff. Awesome stuff. As always, this is Dominic Lawson of the Startup Life Podcast, and this is brought to you by the Binge Podcast Network. So, Brian, man, first things first, man, tell us what's your story on your path to entrepreneurship and tell us what a jobs to be done practitioner is. I'm fascinated. Okay, okay cool. I'll, the path to entrepreneurship, I'll try to keep as brief as I can, but it, it starts, you know, when I was 10 years old or so watching my okay. mom and dad, you know, watching my mom and dad build their business up from you know, a desk in the corner of the room to the kitchen to taking over the garage to eventually, you know, building a new building in our small town. Gotcha. Um, and so that was, man, that was just awesome to watch. Is that a and, small town uh, in Texas? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Northeast Texas, Paris, Texas. All right. Um, and so uh, it was actually, you know, my dad started with computer repair, but eventually got into the internet. Okay. And I was like 14, 15 years old and he said, Hey Brian, uh, I think this thing might get big. And, uh, and so I, I started, I started building websites way back then for him but then you know as being interested in web development in that way like it was kind of always a part of my life but I was also really interested in design and art and so um, that's actually what my degree is in is is in art education so I taught middle school for five years which not a lot of people know right and that was great for a little while but but I, I just continued to feel the tug back towards running my own business just that sense of autonomy you know that I'm sure a lot of people listening right now are nodding their heads <laughs> and, so, and so you know through through a combination of my background in design and development I got some front-end job with a with a startup out here in Boulder Colorado gotcha within that startup was able to you know kind of advance through the ranks and, and got into a product lead position and uh, that's when I started to learn about jobs to be done completely fell in love with the with the approach and uh, and now I'm running this running this consultancy as a solopreneur okay so that's that's the path that's brought me here so your second question you know what what is a jobs to be done practitioner? It's it's somebody who who tries to apply a lens to product design gotcha. and business design from the standpoint of like what's the high level thing that the customer is trying to get done here. 
um, you know, other ways that folks may have heard this talked about is don't sell features, sell benefits. Absolutely. And yeah, right on. So, so Theodore Levitt, I mean, this is not brand new or anything like it's, it's kind of starting to catch on. There's you know, some terminology around it that, that, that you know, finds some traction in people's, in people's mental models. But I mean, Theodore Levitt in the sixties said people don't want to buy a quarter inch drill. They want a quarter inch hole. Right. And so, right. And so um, that's, that's basically the, the underlying premise of, of thinking about jobs to be done is approach your product design process. Or if you know, your, your design process or your brainstorming processes by trying to think through what's the high level benefit that the, that the customer is after here and how can we think about that rather than let's you know let's dream up a bunch of big list of features and then do some wireframes around them and right. then develop them and, and convince people to use them don't do that take a step back and figure out okay if they were to use that feature what is it that they're actually trying to accomplish what sort of progress they're trying to make gotcha thank you for sharing that and you're absolutely right and that's one thing we talk to startup nation a lot about on this show is about you know really playing up those benefits as opposed to the features because that's ultimately what our customers are wanting right they want to save money save time have convenience or whatever the case may be so yeah i'm glad you pointed that out i appreciate that but let's yeah. go back a little bit if, if, if we could tell me about life as a middle school art teacher <laughs> let's hear about oh, that man. that has to be because like middle schoolers are kind of like in their weird <laughs> space where they're like they're the two, weirdest right they're like they're very young so they want to be treated like a kid but at the same time they want to be treated yeah. like adults. so tell us a little bit about that yeah the, the reason i ended up teaching middle school is dude I, I did not like middle school i did i don't know that many people did <laughs> but anybody um, yeah <laughs> but uh but you know when i was doing doing my my student teaching you know i had a position at both the middle school and the high school for the district i was okay doing my student teaching for and i just really connected in the middle school classrooms because you, you put it right on i mean they're ready to start taking more responsibilities they're truly just starting to discover who they are gotcha. um, so, social things are way more serious you know what i mean like that's when yeah. the real drama and like the real you know emotional and mental stuff can really have a long-term effect so uh that just that just meant a lot to me as much as i love as much as i love art and was excited excited about teaching kids about the elements of you know the elements and principles of design and, and all of that you know those sorts of things what really uh, drew me to it was having an impact on somebody's life I, I hear hopefully, hopefully last for a while so for sure for sure and we'll actually dive into that part you know because there's a reason I asked that because we're gonna talk about mentoring a little bit later seeing as that mm. is like National Mentoring Month yeah right? oh yeah so we'll dive into that a little bit so but i appreciate you sharing that for sure yeah what one other thing i'll add about yeah sure uh middle school teachings i've, I've thought about this is mm -hmm. it's funny looking back now how much it prepared me for product management for sure. entrepreneurship for sales dude i mean you want to try to practice sales get up in front of 28 seventh graders who would rather be anywhere but there absolutely and yeah you've got to be you've got to be really good at storytelling at at presenting nobody even you know 
grownups who pay for to pay to go to a conference don't want to just sit there and listen to someone lecture, let alone a you know a middle school kid. So, right. you know, you got to weave a narrative and, and be funny at the right times. And, true, that's true. And then and and of course, ultimately connected to your content, what you're what you're trying to get across. But absolutely, you know, just like in sales, it's going to land um, if you're speaking to if you're speaking to their needs rather than what you want them to get out of it. I'm glad you pointed that out. And startup nation, I think that's a key point to kind of hone in on here. Because, you know, you talk about, you know, trying to connect it with the content and middle schoolers are a lot like customers to where you do have to make sure that you find that connection with them. And at the same time, they will point it out if you're authentic or not, if you're being genuine or not. They have no problem pointing it. Out. Yeah, way more, way more so than than adults. I mean, sure. a customer, a customer who doesn't like your pitch will will be polite most of the time and just nod. Middle schoolers will just go to sleep or, or tell you that you're that you're crazy. <laughs> That's true. So it's like <laughs> middle schoolers, you know, you can feel that analysis, right? To where yeah, with adults, yes. a little bit softer for sure. Yeah, for sure. Thank you for sharing that. I appreciate that for sure. Now, Brian, you were part of a startup before that you exited, right? And so yes. Uh, one of the things I want to ask you about in Startup Nation, I want you to really ask your, you know, think about this answer that Brian's is, Brian is going to give. So, Brian, we have a lot of times where people start companies, right? And so they need to ask themselves, are they like going to be a stayer in that business or an exiter, right? Meaning they're like, are they like trying to end it for the long haul or is there a clear exit strategy down the line? So yeah. I guess I'm curious, what are those questions that you ask yourself to determine if you're a stayer in the company that you start? or you're trying to exit five, 10 years down the line? Yeah, that's, that's interesting. So the way I would, the way I would have to answer it from my own personal experience and, For sure. and granted it's a, it's a sample size of, of one right now Absolutely. is that we were completely focused on building that product and building up that customer base for the long run. Gotcha. Um, our, you know, all of the things that we were, the, the metrics that we were shooting for and our motivations for any new thing that we would, we would release up for the, for the benefit of our customers had right. everything to do with growing that business to, you know, a hundred times the size that we had it at when it was sold. And so I think that the short of it is that my approach or my thinking is build the thing as if you're going to be around for the long haul. Okay. Um, and the exact same things that you would do to achieve that are only going to put you in a better position of leverage if the right buyer comes along. We were, we were fortunate to have the right buyer come along at the right time. We had a CEO who is an absolutely brilliant at being able to feel that out and, and negotiate that and negotiate that sale. But, you know, on the product and engineering side, we had a long view and all, and the only thing that that, that did was ended up positioning the company well for a, for a profitable sell. Gotcha. Gotcha. Does that, make, I, does that make sense? No, that makes complete sense. Yeah. And I wanted for you to share your story in that regard. So that way startup nation can kind of get an idea of what to look for, what to ask for, if you will, right? Or yeah. to be uh, to be okay with the fact that like maybe your first initial inkling was to kind of stay in the business, but sometimes that number gets so good to us like, mm, I may need to consider this. Yeah, yeah. The, and so, I mean, the, the other, you know, advice and feedback I've gotten from other people, because I have asked this direct question of plenty of other people in, for in sure. the startup network, um, is is roughly the same thing, which is if you start a technology startup with the vision 
of selling it in three years, that's just probably not the way that it's going to go. Um, you need to you need to really be starting something that you, that you see uh, a long term vision for, and then but and but yes, if the if the right buyer comes along at the right time, then sell early. That's the other. That's the other thing I see more people saying is don't walk away from an early buyer if if the number is going to have a meaningful effect on your life and your ability to take even greater risks down the road. Right. Because some of the you know some of the foundational concerns you may have financially are out of the way. Then yeah, go for it. Gotcha, gotcha. Thank you for sharing that. I appreciate that. Pleasure. So Brian, you know anybody who hires you. Uh, you know, for a job or is mentored by you or just even asking for advice knows that you're a firm believer in customers don't buy products. They, they hire them to do a job, right? Yep. So yep. explain to Startup Nation what that means and why that can be an absolute game changer for entrepreneurs in their business. Yeah. Yeah. There's something about framing it that way in your mind that I have seen it you know, click um, in, in people's eyes as I've been presenting on this is kind of alluded to it before is that we, we know and we tell ourselves don't design and sell features, uh, discover what the, discover the benefits. And, and we kind of know that to be true, but it's hard to visualize. But um, what people can visualize is just think about it in the same way that a you know, a company or business is trying to make progress in some area, in sales, in marketing, in design, what have you, operations, doesn't matter. They're trying to make progress and they get stuck. And so they realize, well, we need to hire someone to do this. And so they put up a job posting. And so ideally, they're going to hire someone that's going to fill that role. And then the business as a whole is going to start making the progress that they need. Now, take that from that level down to the micro level of, of your own individual person or your, or think about it from your customer standpoint, right? Is that they are trying to, they don't, they, they don't want to buy your thing. They don't even want to, you know, they probably don't even want to use it. Um, if they didn't, if they didn't have, if they didn't have to, they, they, they wouldn't, but what they, what they do want is to get from here to there. And so there, there's an obstacle of progress. And so just like a company posts a job opening, an individual posts a job opening and says, I, I need to hire something. I need to hire something to help me make this progress. And so that's, that's the way that it's, that's the way that, that it's framed in that hiring and firing uh, parlance. For sure. For sure. Thank you for sharing that. Startup Nation, I want you to take heed of something that Brian just said, figure out your customer's obstacle of progress, because that's ultimately the barrier you're trying to to fix and find with your product or your service. Thank you for sharing that, man. I really yeah. appreciate that. Yeah, you bet. Uh, let, me, let me ask you this, man, because on your website, brianray.com, and Startup Nation, you can uh, get that link in the show notes for easy access. You write, uh, in their blog, you have a piece called How to Identify Unmet Customer Needs, right? Yeah. So you, you don't just talk about just knowing what they want, but measuring what they want, which I think is a key difference when we're talking about our customers, right? In that article, you talk about running customer interviews. So I want you to share with Startup Nation, what kind, you know, what does that look like running a customer interview and what mm-hmm. kind of valuable intel would you get from, are you trying to get from that customer? Yeah. So you're, you're trying to, you know, understand, you know, at a, at the right level of abstraction, I hate to kind of put it in that way, but gotcha. um, at, the, at the right level of detail, you're trying to get a picture of their starting point, their end point and all of the points in between that that you can re, that you can realistically address as a, right, as, a right. as a business right i mean Absolutely. there's 
there's some level of going way vague um, and, and trying to offer too many things to too many people. So you have to narrow it just to the right, you know, right degree of, of specificity. And so you're trying to see, okay, so you ran into this obstacle and so you decided that you needed to, you know, use Trello or, or whatever. Right. Um, and so what, what does the end point of that use case look like? And now let's slice, uh, slice into, those, uh, into that high level process. Um, break it down into to discrete steps um, or discrete, you know, jobs to be done, frankly. So at the beginning of the interview, you're basically just trying to be sure that you've got an understanding of, you know, the six to a dozen or so uh, steps along the way. People will also hear this called a, a customer journey. Um, there's, there are some nuances and some distinctions that we don't have to dive into here, but, but basically that's what you're trying to get to is those 12, you know, six to 12 things. Well, within each of those, there are a whole list of potential unmet needs um, that you can, you can start to dive into. And so as you, as you get to that level of granularity, you can ask them, okay, so what are you, what are you currently doing to get this piece of the job done or to get this right. particular thing accomplished? Okay, interesting. Thanks for that. Um, now, how satisfied are you with that current solution? And they can tell you on a scale of, you know, roughly one to 10, how satisfied are they? And then you can say, okay, well, I mean, that particular thing, how, how important is that to you? Oh, that's not important at all. Oh, okay. Well, we could just, we don't, no need to put any engineering effort behind that. Or they could say, yes, this, this piece of it is extremely important. Oh, okay. That's interesting. And you said that, you said that in terms of your current satisfaction level, you gave that only a, a two, really? Is that, you want to, is, is that, does that still feel true? And if they say, if they say yes, then in that interview, you have now identified something that is extremely important to them that they are very unsatisfied with. That's an important insight for a business, right? Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. And so, so you, you know, you run that enough times and, you know, I I think anything less than eight, you know, one hour customer interviews is still on the side of like small sample and anecdotal. Um, Anything above that, when you start to be able to identify some patterns of, okay, you know, in, in this step, these three pieces of the job, like we've found three unmet needs. Well, now you've got a project initiative. Like that's something that if you build and market and then use the exact language you heard from your customers in those interviews, mm. you, have a, you have a much better chance of finding fit, you know? Absolutely. Um, as, yeah, as opposed to inventing something internally and then marketing it in your own language and wondering why people aren't using it. Well, it's because no one told you that they wanted it and you're using terms that, that they're not familiar with or it's not the way that they would describe it. Absolutely. Thank you for sharing that. You know, there, there's two things that, that come to mind when you talk about that. And that's one thing we always talk about, you know, on the Startup Life, Startup Nation, where we talk about being specific. I, I, I equate it to playing Battleship, right? You know, you, you want to, like, make sure you hone in on that target audience for sure. But also, when you, just, when you talk about, you know, using that customer language that they're using, right, that, that speaks more to that deep dive with that customer discovery that you're talking about, Brian. And I appreciate you pointing that out because we have a lot of, you know, big name companies or entrepreneurs and they throw what I like to call, if you're a fan of King of the Hill, pocket sand, right? <laughs> so like they throw, like, they, you know, they throw you, you know, a lot of features and a lot of stuff that that's just like just gimmicky, yeah. right? But what you speak to is something that's more of a deep dive, more of a, a really 
a conversational starter. And for lack of a better phrase, you're kind of throwing those words back at the customer, but you're also connecting with that customer as well. So thank you so much. Yeah. For- that out. Yeah, exactly. It also, and it also makes copywriting, you know, easier later. Absolutely. You know, I mean, we've, we've all, you know, been sitting, sitting at the laptop, like, how, how am I going to, how am I going to put this? What language should I use? Well, you know, just copy and paste out of your interview transcript. For sure. For sure. And, and Startup Nation, you know, once again, if you go to brianray.com, you can see that article, but you can also see the chart that accompanies that article, that piece as well. And hopefully you can find your huzzah moment like Brian showed <laughs> us in that article. Thank you for sharing that. I appreciate that, man. Yeah. Uh, so uh, another great piece that you wrote on there on brianray.com is entitled, Is the 800-pound gorilla in your market susceptible to disruption? And I love this because I, I am all about disruption. I love disruption because I think it keeps people who are the bigger players in the marketplace honest, right? Yeah. yeah. And so, but you talk about two different types of innovations, sustaining innovations and disruptive innovations. And so you talk about in the article about like, you know, VPs who are trying to, you know, say they did something this year. Or if you're a video game player myself, I, I play a game called Red Dead Redemption, where the guy talks about justifying your wages. And so that's what I think about when VPs <laughs> do stuff like that. But you also yeah. talk about disruptive innovations as well that maybe yeah. don't necessarily change the game, but at the very least it shakes things up for the status quo. And when you talk yeah. about Dollar Shave Club, I think that's an excellent analogy and an excellent example because I swear, man, it was like yep. before I started shaving and probably you too, it was like an arms race. Or yep. it was like first there was two blades, then there was three blades. Like, oh, yes. we're going to up them. Now there's four blades. All we're going to do now, we're going to go with five blades, right? Yes. And so like, that just seems like lazy innovation to me, but maybe that's just me. Well, go ahead. Well, so, yeah. So, you know, to go from two to three to four blades and then to add some sort of like, you know, whatever that little moisture foam thing is that they put and then like a a better, you know, a better grip on the handle. So each of those things are perfect examples of sustaining innovations. Mm -hmm. And so Gillette and, you know, they've got great mind share in my head. I can't even think of another razor blade company, but, but so, um, so those are things that of course, you know, they would be doing and just adding this, as time goes along, um, that's, and, and, you know, other perfect examples are, you know, the, the auto industry, um, just kind of slowly adding, you know, one thing after the next. And if you're familiar with the concept of diminishing returns, that is exactly what it is, is that Mm -hmm. each new thing that gets added, um, is less noticeable to the consumer. And so one, one blade on a razor is infinitely better than not having a razor. And then two blades, okay, that's a little bit better. Three and then four, and you barely notice the difference between five and four. Right. Well, so what Dollar Shave Club did um, was to come along, not with another sustaining innovation to say, hey, look, well, let's, let's do six blades and, you know, a, a foam <laughs> and a foam handle. I swear I was waiting but, for a seventh blade. Dude, <laughs> oh, it's coming. It's coming. Um, <laughs> What, yeah, so what Dollar Shave Club came along with a, a, an entirely disruptive innovation was to actually, you know, deliver less, which was just a, their initial offering was a two-blade uh, right. two uh, razor. They offered less, but they made it way more convenient. We'll send it to your house. And they made it cheaper. And so that's, that's often what disruptive innovations look like. They are cheaper. They actually offer less in terms right. of features, mm. but they are way more uh, convenient and, and much and much cheaper. Right. And so that's that's what those things 
you know, tend to look like. And it's important, you know, that the thing about it is important to know is that not every market or not every, you know, vertical or niche within a vertical is ripe for disruption. Absolutely. Um, you know, That's there's, an point. Yeah. So, I mean, just as, as, as startup minded folks and as, as entrepreneurs, our, and this is a trait that is good for the world, I truly believe, but our default position is to think, ooh, what can I do that is a hundred times better than what, you know, those bozos at the enterprise level are currently doing? <laughs> right. That's not always true. You know, in, in 19, let's just, I mean, 1995, Dollar Shave Club would have been a complete failure. The time wasn't, the time wasn't right. Right. And so the market needed to, the market needed time to over mature. Mm. Um, And so when you notice if you're, if you've got an area of expertise and you can notice that the market is the, that the market leaders are way over mature, then you may have something. I hear that. That that's an excellent point because like you don't want to just disrupt for the sake of disrupting. So uh, yeah, you'll fail. You'll right. fail. Google Google Wave is basically slack 15 years too early. Gotcha. Gotcha. I hear that. So really quickly, because I, I went on a whole diatribe there, how can entrepreneurs grow their business successfully, but also keep that fire and that hunger so that they don't let like a dollar shave club come like a thief in the night and snatch some of that market share? <laughs> I mean, I hear the thing about that is, I guess in my head, because you're not the first person to ask me that. Okay. And my, my first response to that is like, man, that's a really good position to be in. Fair enough. If you are in that position, good on you. And so, and, and to reiterate, sustaining innovations along the way are not bad ideas. That is the right thing to do. But if you are you know, fortunate enough to have run your business long enough that you've been stacking these sustaining innovations on each other long enough. And some little startup that looks like a toy to you is -hmm. starting to capture some of your market share. Then the way that Clayton Christensen, you know, describes this as you have to disrupt yourself. And so Mm -hmm. you have to be, you have to be willing to split off some little skunk works project, some little team of four and say, Hey, go after our primary business. And so, and I, I you know, I, I wish he was a little bit more open about, you know, successful case studies that have, that have done, that have, that have done this, but that is, that is basically the, uh, that's the, the strategic recommendation is that you've got to be willing to start eating some of your own profits in the short term so that in the long run, you once again are the company who has, you know, captured most of the market share. It's just, you did it by, you know, taking down your cash cow. Gotcha. Gotcha. Thank you for sharing that. So I love the jobs to be done model. And I didn't know about it until, you know, we uh, got you scheduled to come on the show, but I think I like it because it forces you to think about customers in a completely different way. Right. And you mentioned when you was on the, uh, the product popcorn podcast about how <laughs> approaches things. I thought it was an amazing podcast, by the way. <laughs> I'm glad you listened to that. That's awesome. Yeah, that, 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 that elephant, you know, was, was really, <laughs> really something there. Uh, but uh, anyway, uh, you mentioned on that show about how Disney approaches things, right? Playing on motivations and emotions, right? Yeah, but, right. Uh, but, you know, let me ask you this. Could the same be a, applied to if you're an entrepreneur and you got a team that, you know, let's say a team of 10 that you've employed or whatever, right? Because some of those same approaches work on the team uh, to motivate your team and build a culture in your company, not necessarily on the customers, but the people who would primarily be taking care of those customers. 
Yeah. Can, can you remind me the exact, like the, the exact analogy I was making to, to Disney on that? Yeah. Essentially you were just saying that like, you know, Disney doesn't really compete with universal studios. Oh yeah. Like campgrounds and stuff like that. You're, you're, you're creating like this, that you're creating this moment as opposed to servicing a a need or whatever. Right. And so, you know, that can kind of work with like a culture or a company. So I guess I just wanted to hear your take on that. Yeah. 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 So we were, we were on that, on that particular podcast, we were, talking about you know competition and who is your competition for sure and that and that yeah so D- disney doesn't just compete directly with universal they compete against you know a family camping trip right. so that's yeah that's interesting to think about it from the standpoint of as an employer if you're trying to you know to motivate your employees and get the most out of them um and you know ideally you're working towards you know longevity with them you don't want people hopping in and out for a year and a half and and then moving right. on so yeah on the, on the one sense you are competing against other job postings maybe you're also you're also competing against you know different levels of what dan pink calls autonomy mastery and purpose like where you know if you've got an employee the the things that they most intrinsically want if they are skilled knowledge workers is a sense of autonomy um, which is that they can to some degree call their own shots mastery which is the feeling of making you know progress at a skill and purpose, which is that they're contributing to something larger than themselves. Right. And so, so yeah, to to that extent, you're not only you know as a as an employer competing against you know other companies sniping your most valued employees, but you're you know trying to at least compete against the other areas of their life where they may be experiencing those things that I you know more readily or more strongly. And so that's that's interesting to think about. Uh, I'm not, I'm not really thought about it in that way. Gotcha. Thank you for sharing it. I appreciate that. Uh, so by the time this interview airs, national mentoring month will be over, but I can tell from like your, your conscientious approach and the way you like to, to inform people and empower them with knowledge and, and probably from your skills as a middle school teacher, you know, and like you've also spoke, you know, had engaged like Denver startup week, galvanized mentorship, guest lecturer at refactor you, it, it seems like reaching back and helping people is important to you. So I guess I want to know not only who your mentors are, but what if something you have learned from a mentee? Oh, wow. That's, that's a really great question. Yeah. Completely transparently. This is, this is an area of my, you know, personal and professional life, both Mm -hmm. that I, I feel like I've had it in a very, very strong way, having a, a definite mentor. And, and right now I'm kind of, I feel like I'm in this gap uh, of not of not having a you know a mentor in my life where I that's that's constantly there that I, I look up to on the on the business sense on right. the personal life my, my father-in-law I admire him you know so so much and and definitely look up to him in that way on the you know on the entrepreneurial side of things I, I mentioned my my dad and my mom earlier and I definitely take a ton of inspiration from my from from my dad in that way. We lost him to to lung cancer last year, so quit smoking, startup nation. But um, but so those those are the you know those are the two figures who loom very very large you know for me. Gotcha, uh, man. Gr- great question on what have I what have I learned from a mentee? Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I'm yeah, I I'm a I'm a teacher at heart. I really love teaching. Right. And so, you know, as a, you know, in, in, in business that typically looks like workshops and, you know, know, 
presenting it at meetups and things. So I don't, I certainly don't have anybody that is like a, uh, a you know, a mentee who's like having a, a 45 minute weekly thing thing with me. But the, you know, the people in my network who are, you know, maybe a, a season or two career wise, you know, younger than me right now, the thing, the thing that I continue to learn from them by watching them, talking to them and just seeing how they, you know, are continuing to move through their their professional life is to just stay hungry. I hear that. Um, I'm, I just, so I just turned 39 uh, and I do not feel like the old, like classic <laughs> cynical thing about turning 40 and over the hill and all that. Like, I think that's a little bit, I think that's a little bit tired. I actually think my, my forties, I'll probably be in better health than, I've, you know, than I, than I was in my thirties when I wasn't taking such great care of myself. But, mm-hmm. um, but I, I do, Dominic, I do feel like that kind of, just maybe a little bit of like jadedness coming in or like, okay. you, know, the, you know, the lack of at least the dampening a little bit of that fire. Mm. And so that's, that's what I, that's what I've learned uh, from watching those, watching the, the younger, uh, you know, younger people in my network is, is to stay hungry and, and to not be, to not be afraid to look naive and foolish. I hear that. I think, I think that's, I think that's kind of what it, what's at the root of it is I, I look back on a number of things I've done. Maybe, maybe you have the same experience where you get yourself into a new situation and you just go pedal to the metal with all this confidence and it, it totally works out. But then you look back and you realize, oh my gosh, I was acting so naively and didn't know what I didn't know. Oh yeah. Um, you know? Yeah. Yeah. For sure. <laughs> yeah. Well, absolutely. Yes. I think yeah, we've so, all been there a time or two for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I think, and I think a part of that, you know, is just, you know, some like a, a good aspect of, of youth of not really, not really knowing that you might make yourself look foolish and yeah. more, you know, more, more years you get under you, maybe a little bit more timid of, of looking foolish you get. So I think I'm kind of speaking some wisdom to myself right now to, to not be afraid to look naive again. <laughs> I'm wrong with that. Maybe, maybe you'll listen to this podcast five years from now. And you'll be like, okay. All right, Brian. I hear you for sharing that, man. I appreciate that answer for sure. So last question before we go to break, man, I believe entrepreneurs are like lifelong learners. They're always engaged in professional development and that looks like reading books, listening to yes. podcasts, whatever the case may be. Right. What does professional yeah. development mean to you, and what are you learning now? Yeah, um, but yeah, books and books and podcasts. We are and we are just in such a good position right now, where you know the monotonous commute, you know, from here to there, can be yeah. filled now with you know with listening to an, an expert talk about something in your industry. That is just that's something that I think we've we've started to take for granted that we should never never forget, like how amazing that is, uh, or, or being at the gym. Um, the other thing that I've been I've been trying to get myself back on, you know, the last several months is just at least setting aside, you know, 20 minutes every single day to read a nonfiction book related to, you know, either directly related or tangentially related to my industry. For sure. And uh, I just I just notice, you know, when I kind of go on these spurts, you know, and maybe other folks can relate to this as well, where, yeah, I just go on these spurts, I've got like a stack of books and I'm just ripping through them and then go three months without ever picking one up. Right. And so I'm just trying to get myself on a, a, a more consistent and just level schedule of, of, of consistent reading. But something I've also done, you know, recently on on the development side that's had a, a really great impact for me mm-hmm. is I'm um, just trying to really reduce my smartphone use. 
I hear that. And so something that I've, I've done that helps that is it is a very practical, <laughs> tactical thing, but it's to try to do the vast majority of my reading on my Kindle, not even on my laptop and definitely not on my phone. Okay. And so even, even articles and blog posts, um, there's this great little Chrome extension called send to Kindle. And so if I come across an article and by the way, Farnham street blog is like my favorite uh, resource at the moment. But if I come across an article that I think I definitely need to read this, or if somebody in a newsletter I respect says, you want to read this, then I won't pull it up on my computer and try and read it then. I pull it up, send it to my Kindle with this little extension, and then I'll read it later that that evening. And so it's it's a great way to, to stay focused and reduce uh, distraction. Gotcha. Thank you for sharing that. So we're going to go ahead and take a quick break. How you like being on a startup life so far, man? Oh, I love it. It's as much fun as I expected it to be. Awesome stuff. Awesome stuff. All right, Startup Nation. So I hope you're getting great value from Brian's content, but we got to pay a few bills. Once again, my name is Dominic Lawson, and you're listening to The Startup Life. business owner. The Startup Life reach is growing. Wouldn't you like your business to grow with it? Reach out to us to advertise on The Startup Life. You can reach us at 901-857-4818 or you can email me at dominic at askowlsolutions.com. I mean, don't get me wrong. Like this is a great music to have break on, but wouldn't this break sound a lot better with the same music, but your business being advertised on it? Need more content from the Startup Life, you say? You can now sign up for the Startup Life All Access Pass on the Binge Podcast Network's Patreon page. There is exclusive content written by yours truly, video content where I share even more of my business philosophies and whatever crazy content I can think of out of that crazy head of mine. And at only $5 a month, yeah, $5 a month, this is more content for you Startup Nation to really get ahead of your competition. So instead of upsizing that meal at your favorite fast food joint, you can now invest in yourself on your path to entrepreneurship. Click the link in the show notes to sign up. All right, Startup Nation, so let's continue. You know, so Startup Nation, when you go to Brian's website, brianray.com, you can sign up for the JTB or jobs to be done knowledge library you can sign up for that share with startup nation brian the immense value they'll be getting from this oh yeah hey thanks thanks for mentioning that um and yeah so so one thing that i'm that i'm trying to do or that i want to do is just all of the resources that i use everything from as you know practical as the email templates that i use to send to potential interview candidates on behalf of my clients um something as tactical as that versus you know, an interview outline, some worksheets that I usually keep in front of me uh, during those interviews that, you know, when we were talking before about how to uncover those satisfied and importance 
levels, you know, these, these sheets that I keep in front of me for notes while I'm doing those interviews, all that stuff that I've just kind of collected over the years. I thought, why don't I just put it into a Google Drive in, in exchange for an email address to, to stay in touch with folks? I'll, I'll make, that, make that available. The other thing I've started doing recently is putting my own notes on book summaries that, that I've been reading uh, re- related specifically to, to jobs to be done. So people will be able to see that, but got some presentations in there. It's, it's basically meant to, you know, for, for me, anytime I develop a new note taking or email script or some kind of template that I'm finding useful in, uh, as a jobs to be done practitioner, I'm going to put it in there so that other folks might be able to use it as well. I hear that. Thank you for sharing that. I appreciate oh, Thanks for mentioning it. Yeah. Oh, no worries. No worries. And so, and in addition to that, you know, you, you also, you know, offer services that people can schedule, you know, ahead of time and stuff like that. You have your one hour product strategy session and you have the in-depth sessions as well that provide even more value. So what kind of value is Startup Nation getting for like, if they decide to, you know, move a little bit further with working with you? Yeah, sure. So, so something that typically happens is that, you know, a company knows that they need to be talking to their customers more often, like message, uh, message received, right? That's been kind of loud and loud and clear for a while. It's also a little bit like going to the gym, you know, it's like, yeah, I I know I need to be doing that. I know it's good for me long-term definitely, but man, I, I, I gotta, I gotta get dinner ready. Like there are operate, there are operational things that have to get done. And so some of those things, even though you know that they're important and that they're going to matter, you know, in the long run, in the short term, you don't get to them. And so, you know, maybe you don't have, you know, ex- internal expertise um, to run customer interviews. You know, the, the, there's a right way and a wrong way, and, and you know, it can kind of, it can lead you astray if you don't have the internal expertise. Absolutely. And so, and so that's that's typically something that. You know, my customers who have found value in my service, um, that's what they see, you know, in me is somebody who can come in, you know, with expertise, do that, you know, do a, do a suite of, of customer interviews, bring them along on the journey and help them, you know, see what those insights are so that they, they're, they're internalized within the organization and they're not going to disappear when my engagement is done. Right. Um, basically, yeah, I, I basically end up being customer research for hire gotcha. kind of, kind of position and, and help them to, to analyze and then apply those insights to their product roadmap. Really quickly man because you know I, I i know uh now if you're in need of you know brian services startimation just know that you probably need to schedule ahead of time because it, his schedule gets really full really quickly that's why i'm also glad he's able to have some time for us on the show today but also and he makes no qualms about this on his page started on his website startimation that if your budget is less than fifteen thousand dollars you may want to seek other alternatives for your product development <laughs> so brian i only point that out to say this because a lot of people in Startup Nation, they have issues with like pricing their products and services. Yeah. And, and it's something that they really do struggle with. So I guess I want to, if you could, you know, how are you able to find that price point that is great for the marketplace, but it also is in line with the amazing value that you provide? Yeah. Um, I mean, the, the first thing I'll say is that, yeah, listen, if, if, you're, if you're early on and, and getting started, don't be discouraged by that. Or even if you've been at it for a while, don't be, don't be discouraged you right. know, if you hear that number right. either. Is I can guarantee you that the, the, first, you know, the first number of, of clients that I took on, it was, it was definitely not at that, at that number. For sure. And so, but, but what, you, uh, what, I, what I 
did my best to do along the way. And what I, you know, have given some advice to, to other, other people who are trying to do, you know, similar, similar work or, you know, consulting and freelance work is this is, is to then say, okay, okay, well, look, if you're, if you're getting ready to bid out this project for, for $3,500, you wish that you could bid it out for seven, or if you're getting ready to bid it out for seven and you wish you could do 15, um, then ask yourself what level of quality or, or what is it about it that makes you uncomfortable um, quoting it at right. seven or, or 15, and then see if there are ways that you can start to start to introduce that. If it has to do with, you know, your own personal development and, and skills, fair enough, that takes time, but be sure that each new project that you, that you bid, raise your rate, you know, even if just by 5% at a time, raise your rate every single time until people start saying no. And that's, and that's how you'll start to kind of find where, you know, where your value is. Patio 11, P-A-T-I-O 1-1. On Twitter, Patrick McKenzie, he has just a great uh, a personality um, to, to follow on Twitter for this line of thought in terms okay. of, I mean, gosh, I mean, his, his mantra is charge more. Anytime anybody asks him anything okay. about, about freelancing, he says charge more. But it's, it's not as simple as, as that. I mean, he's, you know, it's, it's pithy and kind of funny. But you can't just charge more because you want to. Charge more and then be sure that you're delivering quality and value Absolutely. Um, that, that the customer is going to get. And the way that you can, you know, great metrics for knowing whether you're, whether you're doing that well is referrals and repeat customers. Got you. Thank you for so, sharing. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, that's, that's, that's all. Okay. Thank you for sharing that. So make sure, like I, like, like Brian just said, Startup Nation, you're not just charging, just busting heads, be busting heads. Right. Make sure you're, you're, you're charging enough. No, I mean, charging the correct price point in order and have that value be uh, equal to that price point for sure. Thank you for sharing that. I appreciate that, man. Yeah. Yeah. The, the other th one, one final yeah, sure, thought I'll, I'll, yeah, one final thought I'll add to that is, you know, a lot of times, you know, freelancers and early stage, you know, absolutely will, um, will, you know, price based on, you know, how, how long do you think it's going to take you to do this? And right. they'll, they'll try to arrive at some hourly rate. And that's not the right way to price it. The right way to price is what is it, what is it worth to them? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, what's it worth to the client to get this done? Because it's going to deliver some, some amount of value for their business. So ask the right sorts of questions that will that will get you to that answer. Not only will it let you know if there's a fit there budget wise, but it positions you in the mind of your customer as somebody who is interested in their business, not just some vendor who's going to deliver, you know, a, a bunch of code or some, you know, sketch files or something. They'll they'll look at you as a commodity in, when you position yourself in that way, and they will drive your price down. But if they see you as somebody who's asking about their business and understands that their business needs to grow and you want to help them meet those needs, well, now you're delivering, you know, a product, but you're also, you know, helping them grow their grow their business, and you can you can price a little bit better off of that. For sure. Thank you for sharing that. I appreciate that. Now, Startup Nation, for those of you who run software companies, Brian can actually offer you even more value. Brian, tell us about FeatureAudit.com, <laughs> the value it yeah. provides. 
Oh, thanks for, thanks so much for mentioning that. So yeah, feature audit is, you know, right now it's my side hustle. I love being, doing this jobs to be done, consulting, product strategy, consulting. It puts me in the role of a teacher, which feels true to my heart, you know, often, and I love it. But, you know, my three to five year vision for myself is not to grow this consultancy. It is to be CEO of my own software, software company, uh, to get back into the startup software game. Okay. And so a feature audit is something that, um, I guess, you know, the, the, the premise of it is it helps you make better product decisions in seconds. Um, so by showing you which, you know, features your customers are actually using in your, in your product. And so something that I observed, you know, with, with my own team when I was, you know, head of product, at, you know, previous startup, and now that I have observed many times with the, you know, with the clients that I'm consulting with, is, well, how many people, you know, we're looking at their product and, you know, doing a bit of an audit on, on things. It's like, well, how many people actually use that, that thing right there? Right. And nobody can, nobody can give you a quick answer. It usually is some combination of, well, we, we got to dig in three layers deep on Google Analytics or ask, you know, so-and-so over in backend engineering to run some, you know, SQL queries for us. And so what I've, what I've built, um, you know, with, with feature audit is, you know, a, a software company can install just a, you know, single line JavaScript snippet, which we're all, you know, pretty familiar with at this point. And it will chart for you on, on a graph on the x-axis how many people how many of your users are using this thing? Few, some, most, or all. And on the y-axis, it tells you how frequently they're using it. Rarely, some of the time, most of the time, or all of the time. Gotcha. And so if you, can, if you can visualize that, the things in the upper right that all of the people are using all of the time, well, that's a really important thing. So if you get a, you know, as a product manager, if you get a bug request on one of those features, that needs to be high priority. Absolutely. You get a bug request on something in the bottom left. Okay, well, you know, now you can prioritize that. And, and so, you know, kind of similar to our conversation earlier, this is my, my hypothesis anyways, similar to, you know, what Dollar Shave Club did. Right. Which is, yeah, you can, you can already get some of those things done, but not quickly. So I'm, I'm trying to do something here with Feature Audit that does one small thing and does it extremely, extremely fast. So I'm trying to offer on the analytics side, way less than Google Analytics, but it gets you to your answer in seconds. So Brian, I hear that you're, now there's a little freebie in the works. Is that a rumor or is that real? That is true. So if, yeah, if anybody wants to try out um, the paid version of of Feature Audit at featureaudit.com, when you you sign up for that paid account, if you use Startup Life as the coupon, you'll get uh, 50% off for three months. Awesome stuff. Awesome stuff. Hey, Brian, can we do me a favor? Can we make it the Startup Life? Oh, yeah, 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 you bet. I appreciate it. I appreciate that for sure. And Startup Nation, the link is in the show notes for easy access. If you're one of those people who run a software company and you need some extra help and some extra value to make sure you can pinpoint those high priority bug issues, make sure you check out featureaudit.com. The link is there in the show notes for easy access. So Brian, if you would, man, take me back to 95 really quickly, man. You're 14, 15 years old and your dad tells you like, man, I think this internet thing is going to kind of really be big here coming up shortly, right? Yeah. That you should learn coding and build your website and stuff <laughs> like that, right? Yep. Let me ask you this, man. How grateful are you to your dad today that he had the foresight to put you on that path, man? Yeah, I mean, it's it's truly hard to put into words, Dominic. I mean, gotcha. there's so much, uh, I mean, those, those, those specific things of him literally saying that and then, you know, spending time with, you know, his 15 year old kid to, to try to, you know, learn how to, <laughs> to build a website and 
good old fashioned, you know, HTML um, and nothing else, you know, back in the day. And then, you know, he'd cruise around town and sell websites to the businesses and then bring it home to, you know, his 15 year old kid. Um, It, uh, yeah, you know, it it affected me long term in, in ways that, you know, as a kid, I didn't totally appreciate. Yeah, it's, it's definitely, you know, his, his decision, his and my mom's decision to, to invest in themselves, to bet, you know, on themselves, I hear that. And, you know, and, and quit, you know, the full-time salary job that he had literally to change the course of my life. So I'm, I'm forever grateful. Gotcha. Gotcha. Thank you for sharing that. And in that same vein, man, here we are in 2019 and like technology is progressing really fast. It's really fast. Right. And so and we're telling people, we're telling kids today, like they should learn how to code and things of that nature. Yeah. You know, so, you know, I, I guess I just wanted to kind of point that out to kind of juxtapose those two things that like some of those similar things that were happening in 95 are somewhat happening in 2019 now. And like, you know, we're trying our best to be have that foresight to tell kids now to be able to put them on the path that, you know, that you were able to be put on back yeah. 20 years ago. Yeah, 20 true, years. true. I appreciate you sharing that. So also with that being said, and this, you know, just a more of a philosophy type thing. You know, when we talk about technology progressing and, and, and things being outsourced, including jobs, man, you know, people are starting to find themselves like, you know, what do I do next? And so some people have suggested maybe a universal basic income or UBI. Yeah. To, you know, to invest in people so that way they can have some, some money to just literally live, right? Mm-hmm. So do you think we should have a UBI or should we invest that money in like the training to survive in the new economy we find ourselves in? Yeah, man, that's a great question. I didn't know we would go to UBI on this on this <laughs> call, but I, I love it. Okay. Yeah, I, I mean, there are obviously so many nuances to that question. For sure. I think, and because, you know, a counter argument, a counter argument to UBI is that there've always been, you know, Luddites and, and chicken littles running around when any new right. technology advances <laughs> and saying, you know, the, the sky's falling, it's going to take away all the jobs. And so up to this point, you know, that, that has not yet been, been completely true. And so there's some rationale to that argument, but the thing that I, and I, I, I'm not claiming to have an answer on this. The, the thing that I wonder about and think about Dominic is well, is there a rate at which technology can advance so quickly that human beings on a, on a human-based time scale cannot respond quick enough to those feedback loops? And so, and so, yes, every other time, you know, the, that a new technology came along and put one industry out of work, well, those workers just went to a different industry and the new technology created new jobs. And, you know, most of, not all, but most of the folks who are put out of, out of work found new work somewhere else. Right. Is it possible that self-driving vehicles are going to come along so quickly that even though today there is a demand for, for truck drivers across the country. There are not enough drivers to fill all of the open positions. So, the, so you know, supply currently doesn't meet demand. Is, is it possible? True. Yeah, is it possible that a new technology could come along so quickly that not only will those you know, open positions be closed immediately by technology, but all of the existing positions will be immediately, you know, made redundant? Um, I think that that is, you know, theoretically and hypothetically possible. And so in my opinion, yeah, at some point, you know, my, my current position is that, is that, yeah, UBI has got to be on the table. 
I, I kind of look at it as, you know, somewhat similar to, I'm not sure where everybody stands on this either, but I think of it as somewhat similar to, to universal healthcare, which is that, you know, just a, you know, put those couple of levels of, of Maslow's hierarchy of needs off the table and you actually encourage more risk taking, more entrepreneurship and more innovation. Um, as an entrepreneur, I'm not worried about paying taxes. I'll, I'll happily pay taxes. What I'm worried about is making sure that my kids can go to the doctor when they need to. Right. And so those, those are the things that as an entrepreneur on my, my mind, I think if more of those things were, or if at least the basics were completely off of the table, makes it way easier to take large risks. Gotcha. Thank you for sharing that, man. I appreciate that for sure. <laughs> Thanks for listening to my off the, off the cuff rambling there. Oh, hope no, it made, no, no, no. <laughs> I hope it made some kind of sense. Well, the thing is, man, on this show, we try to try to be, you know, forward thinking, you know, predictive or whatever the case may be. And like, this is becoming like a, a serious issue that at the very least, yeah. it's not where it's like, you know, the sky is falling, but at the very least, we may need to start addressing it pretty soon. So, yeah. no, I, I appreciate your, your your take on it. Absolutely, for sure. So, man, you know, you recently tweeted the following, right? And it's a bit out of context, but <laughs> just, just roll with me here. Okay, I'm, uh, I'm curious. What yeah, did I say? <laughs> no, it's all good. Uh, ignore a quote, ignore feature comparison tables. Instead, channel mm. Kathy Sierra and focus on making your customers badasses. Your users are Mario. Your product is the fire flower, end quote. So when I think about that, those last two sentences, man, it makes me think that, you know, both of us are millennials and that we like video games. So I'm going yeah. to put you on the spot a little bit. <laughs> I want to know not your favorite game, but what you think <laughs> is the greatest video game of all time. Oh, okay. Here, this is, dude, this is the thing, Dominic, is that <laughs> I truly believe that this is the greatest game I have ever played. Okay. But it's so recent that, you know, in the back of my head, I'm like, oh, this is recency bias. You know, give, give gotcha. it a little while. But um, have you played The Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild on Wii? I um, have not played. I have not. I, I, believe it or not, I'm currently going back and playing. I, my wife bought me uh, NES Classic over the holidays. Yes. So, so I'm, <laughs> I, I'm going back. And, and I'm playing uh, Zelda 2, The Adventures of Link right yeah. now. So I'm trying to finish yes. that right now. But no, okay. I have not played that version. No, not yet. It It is so much fun. Okay. Um, it's it's So open world concept. Um, and... Uh, but I mean, it, it hard, you know, it just, it makes all of these throwback references to, to, to all of the classic, you know, some of the super old Zelda games, even Ocarina sure. of Time on N64. Like mm -hmm. you can run through the old stable. Um, getting a little bit geeky on it right now but but hey, what's go for it, man go for it. what's what's made it safe what's space made, right now <laughs> what's made it really fun is so we have we have three kids uh they're six eight and ten okay and they like it's a it is a it is family game night like we oh, nice. all we gather around breath of the wild and run into to sh i mean there's their shrines but it's basically like the old temple concept and gotcha. um and, uh, you know, we're trying to solve these puzzles together or, you know, come up on a new foe or some new boss and everybody gets super stoked. Oh, man, it is it is it is so much fun. It's so much fun, in fact, that we beat. Yeah, I mean, as a family, like we beat the game oh, last, nice. last year. OK, um, but we are still just running around and exploring the world and ah. trying to trying to complete every side quest. Yeah, yeah, I was just about to say, try to get up on those side quests. Huh? Yeah, yes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, sure. Oh, it's great. It's a good one. Good awesome family stuff. game. 
Awesome stuff. Thank you for sharing that. I appreciate that, man. So really quickly, man, I believe all entrepreneurs have a superpower. What's yours and why? Mm, I, so other people have told me that I'm, I'm really good at seeing and tr- uh, other people's point of view and truly trying to put it on level ground with my own point of view. And I think, I, I think oftentimes I don't do that well at all, but there's one thing that I, uh, that I think that I can say I'm, I'm pretty good at and should do a better job of, of leaning on more often. It's being diplomatic and being able to see and respect, you know, the, where, where somebody else might be coming from. Gotcha. Got you. Thank you for sharing that, man. You know, before we move to the last question, I just want to say thank you so much for coming on the show. You've provided Startup Nation with tremendous value, man. I really appreciate all your nuggets, all your wisdom and all your insight that you shared with us today. So last question. My pleasure. No, for sure. For sure. So last thing, man, there's an entrepreneur out there, man. They're afraid to start. Like they're like, man, I can't do this. I, I don't know a way forward. You know, so if you would, Brian, talk to Startup Nation and tell them, motivate them why they should yeah. start move forward. Yeah. The, the, the first thing, the first thing that I, I will say is, um, don't just go for it. Um, you should definitely believe in yourself and, and feel empowered and think optimistically and have a, you know, have a growth mindset toward the future. Do all of those things and believe in yourself. But if the first step that you take is to make a plan, then let that be the first the first step. And and speaking super specifically on in a couple of different instances in my life as an entrepreneur, uh, having a, an emergency fund set aside, like this kind of a tactical thing to talk about. But um, but you know, it, keep your full time job until you've got six months of emergency funds set aside, and do that while you're believing in yourself. You know that you're going to take this step you know, for yourself, when you do, when you, you know, when you do take that step, having that fund set aside is going to actually make it more likely that you get to continue to, to follow your dream and to go for it because things are certainly going to come up that you can't control. There could be some, there could be some dry spells and it's going to feel stressful. It's going to feel way less stressful if you've got some, some cushion there to work with. And so yes, entrepreneur, (laughs) believe in yourself, go for it, but do it with a, with a plan. Awesome stuff, man. I just want to say thank you so much for coming on the show, man. How did you enjoy being on The Startup Life? I loved it. I love your style. All right, Startup Nation. So here's my final take. Brian is an amazing entrepreneur, conscientious, thorough, and honestly, an amazing mentor as he talks about, you know, what he's learned from not just his mentees, the people he's worked with, Uh, in the entrepreneurial space, but also when he talks about his middle schoolers as well. Brian is the consummate teacher. And honestly, I think they make the best entrepreneurs because not only can they figure out difficult problems, but they can help other people solve those problems as well. If you want to let us know what you think about the show, have an idea for a show topic, or like to advertise on our show, please send us a message on the Startup Life Podcast Facebook page. And while you are there, like and follow our page as well. It's a way for us to engage with you, Startup Nation, and really grow our community. The link is here in the show notes. Subscribe to the show as can be now be heard on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, Spotify, or whatever your favorite platform to get your podcast on. If you are listening on Apple Podcasts and you find our content valuable, 
please give us a five-star rating as it will help us climb the charts and help more people find our show. Also, don't forget to sign up for the Startup Life All Access Pass to get exclusive content. This is exclusively on the Bench Podcast Network's Patreon page. And hey, if you have an idea, be about that life, the Startup Life.